You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, hello! How's it going, everybody? As luck would have it, this is actually going to drop on Christmas Eve. So, Merry Christmas to all you Christmas people out there. I hope you are enjoying it. I hope you get all kinds of holiday cheer and get to hang out with people and all the great fun stuff that that entails. So, Merry Christmas and enjoy this Christmas episode, I suppose. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about Gun Street Wiring Shop because... You know, maybe you got some stuff for Christmas you weren't crazy about. Maybe they gave you a gift receipt, and so you just kind of slide that back. But you know what your guitar needs? It needs an upgrade to the wiring harness. You've been looking at doing coil splitting for a while. Maybe maybe you get yourself some new pickups, get yourself a new wiring harness kit from Gun Street, and then wham, bam, you got a whole new sound, almost a new guitar. It's like a new guitar experience just for you. So head it over to... Yeah. Head over to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check out those beautiful candy-looking wiring harnesses and pick yourself up one. Treat yourself. I also want to tell you about the Fear the Riff Expo. Saturday, August 10th in 2019. Be there or be square. It's going to be a big, big event this year. It's been getting better and better. This will be its third year. Uh, I don't even know who all is going to be there yet. It's, it's going to be a, a lot of the same vendors are returning. They're trying to get, you know, some notable guitar people to put on workshops and all kinds of stuff. It's in Brooklyn, New York City, Saturday, August 10th, 2019. The Fear the Riff Expo. I'm going to be there, and so should you. Let's hang out, you know. Let's, uh, let's fist bump. Let's nerd out on some pedals. Saturday, August 10th, Fear the Riff Expo. And also, let's not forget one last little plug for ToneMob.com slash Reverb. You've been looking to pick up anything from Reverb.com, which they got just about anything you could ever desire on there. You go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb. That kicks a small percentage of your purchase back to the show and helps keep things going over here. A lot of you have taken me up on that, and I really, really appreciate it. And it's, it's an easy thing. It doesn't cost you any extra doesn't add any hassle. You just got to go to tonemob.com slash reverb, and that will help us out immensely. All right, without further ado, here's Terry and Angelo. Boom. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Terry and Angelo from Maris. What's going on, guys? Hey there, everybody. Hey over there. Hey. You, you know, this is another one where we just pretend that we weren't talking for 30 minutes. <laughs> I love that. How do you do? How do you do, good sir? <laughs> Sirs? My good man. 
what's going yeah, on no, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got to rap for a little bit before this it's always fun. fun i like to talk i don't know if anybody knows that or not so this is a particularly dangerous situation for me to be in and dangerous for anyone who's on the other line because <laughs> who knows when he'll stop that's cool man it makes it more comfortable for me good deal good deal well, we'll get started just right away, and I don't know, you. I'm going to pose the same question to both of you, so you get to pick who goes first, but, you know, what? what's the what's the backstory behind Maris? What is your personal, like, musical backstory, and how did everything kind of evolve into its current state? Yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's probably a long one, but I hope inter- interesting. Um, Angelo, you, you can go first. Okay. Yeah, um, so I grew up in an Italian family outside of Detroit. <laughs> That's way back. <laughs> and, um, well, I mean, it's appropriate. Uh, my grandfather, um, you know, he always encouraged people to play music. And my dad played accordion, and I inherited his accordion amp. But I didn't want to play accordion. So I got a guitar. And living in that area, Motown is a huge influence. So that was kind of like the genesis of it. And then getting a guitar and playing, um, you know, I wanted my friends to play too. So I convinced my friend to get a drum set and then we were off and we recorded in his basement because his mom didn't care. (laughs) We made lots of noise. And um, so it was all about that all through high school, you know, playing on the weekends, playing Friday night. And then when it came time to leave high school, I was, you know, along with being a music nerd i was also a math nerd so i went and i knew i wanted to get into something with electronics and signal processing so that's where i had you know kind of ended up there and i was lucky to work as a research assistant with um at the university of michigan with uh this cool guy who let me use his lab after hours to build pedals and so i started building pedals there um, just, you know, with their huge electronics lab and their machine shop, you know, and I would mill enclosures and build things. And the lab, um, was the center for ultra fast optical science. So they had a ton, their electronics lab was amazing. They had, you know, every part that you could even imagine. So I was always building stuff and then taking DSP classes. So that, you know, kind of all worked together and, as a minor, I took music classes and, you know, that was always my focus to be in electronics and kind of use that to make, um, music. And then after school ended up at line six where I just kind of jumped right in and did, um, DSP, um, for a long time for, you know, 13, 14 years where I did the stomp boxes. I did the filter modeler, Kind of all the four by four series is what we called them, the four button. Um, I didn't work on the DL4, but the rest of them, you know, I worked on. And then I worked on the rack processors and worked close with George, George Trips, who um, was out of Way Huge and working at Line 6. And we did the um, Tone Core pedal series and the rack processors. We did, you know, that sort of thing. And that's where I met Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we worked on not directly it was weird we worked on the spider series of amplifiers um small ones we call them steelhead internally and they're the tiny amplifiers and um you know part of it was based on the stuff i was doing for the tone core pedals and 
kind of morphed that code into the amp. And Terry did the electrical side of that. And, um, and I was at Line 6 for a while. I was, you know, really happy doing DSP and sound design. I um, was the software director. And then I got a call from Terry for lunch. And we had some sushi. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and we talked about doing something different. And he was ready to do something different. I was ready to do something different. And, um, yeah, and that's that that conversation is kind of what roped me into Maris and, and now here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here we are. So, yeah. I'm going to So I'll take it back to just, um, I'll take, I'll rewind only a couple of years first. So or a few years first. So me and Angela met at line six, but like you said, we didn't work on that many projects together. We just didn't work out that way, but, we always were friends. So I think that's like kind of a fortunate thing. I'm really grateful for that. Instead of just coworkers, we were friends because we basically had this um, connection because we both loved comedy. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. So we would always hang out at work and talk about music and comedy. So we talked a lot about uh, Mr. Show in particular, <laughs> <laughs> which is like something that we both still love. And Gina loves too, actually. So yeah, all of us. Yeah. That's kind of a common thread. Yeah, there's lots of Mr. Uh, Show references. Yeah, so we, uh, anyways, we make, we make <laughs> lots of dumb, we make lots of dumb jokes. I was like, there's going to be something. They're going to say something. <laughs> I was waiting for, I was waiting for a Mr. Show reference to pop in. I'm not, I wish I had one. I'm not super familiar, but I have seen it a few times. It's pretty Well, pretty Gina awesome. did show us, she showed us a video of. Choo choo the herky jerky dancer. The herky jerky dancer. <laughs> that was right our prep for this on. call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was trying to loosen us up because because Gina's real smooth and real cool and real um like comfortable mm-hmm. with people and a good communicator. And uh I'm more of like uh stiff and shy. <laughs> stiff and shy. You don't sound stiff and shy. Come on. It's I'm glad I don't. It's I'm glad easy. I don't. This is this and is Angelo. I'm always just impressed with his radio voice. It's great. <laughs> he does have a nice Sounds voice. Awesome. It sounds good. Yeah. So, you, so guys, you guys went to sushi, and then magically, yeah, that was, magically Maris appeared. I feel like there's a gap there. Well, that was just me calling up Angela and saying, hey, Angela, let's go have lunch. I haven't seen you in a long time. And then I said, kind of foolishly, casually, I like, maybe we can start a company together. <laughs> <laughs> um. And fortunately, it did work out. But um, yeah, so I guess there's a long history of Maris too, which is, um, uh, well, I guess for me, my parents got me a guitar. I wanted something else, but they got me a guitar for Christmas one year. So I grew up in a surf community. So I wanted to, all my friends and me surfed all the time. So I wanted to... um, have an underwater camera. I didn't want like an expensive one, but I wanted one that I could like, you know, take pictures of my friends surfing. Mm-hmm. Parents completely ignored me on that one and got me a guitar instead, which is like the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> so anyways, after I got a guitar, I was obsessed with it. And I got a terrible little amp too. It was a Fender Rad, which I was always embarrassed of the name. A Fender Rad? But, um, I don't even Fender know what that Rad. is. It's one of the gray ones with the red knobs. Oh, 
oh yeah, those aren't that bad, are they? Well, it was. It sounded pretty bad. It was tiny. I mean, the clean sounded okay, but the distortion was terrible. It's all solid state. Oh, okay. but the best thing the best thing about that amp was that it had a schematic with it. it. Came with a schematic in the back, and I was just fascinated. Like, I didn't know why they put a schematic in the back of the amp, but I thought it was cool, and I just looked at it for hours and hours. I remember that, and um, eventually led me to get more into electronics. I got. Um, you know, was pouring through books and stuff. And I just feel like I had a lot of fortunate, um, I'm really grateful for all the people along the way that I ran into who gave me just amazing opportunities and mentorship. So grateful for that. Um, in particular, the first person that I worked for was, um, he was the only guy in town, small town that I grew up in, just north of LA where we're actually ha right now, um, again, but, um, <clears throat> he, his name was Pat, Pat Bewley, and he was the only repair guy in town. So he, when I was 16, I begged him for a job and he was kind of reluctant at first. And then he gave me a job and it just allowed me to see how every kind of hardware in the music biz was made, like keyboards, PAs, guitar amps, a lot of guitar amps. Um, so it was just awesome, like really eye-opening. I got to look at tons of schematics. I got to see really important and cool, I thought, was that I got to see how everything failed. Yeah, that's so, interesting. So I knew kind of what not to do later on. Then I got lucky again, really lucky again. I just sent, uh, I forget even how I found out um, that there was a job opening, but line six was only... Uh, it was a fresh company still, and they were only maybe like 30 minutes away from where I lived. So, um, yeah, I got a job there, luckily, and I was able to, you know, start helping out all the engineers. I was an engineering technician, and then a couple years after that, they promoted me to be a design engineer. So it was just like a total dream come true. And then um, I got to design hardware. I got to design guitar amplifiers. It was like, you know, I just loved going to work every day. And there, um, I had a you know, few different mentors, but probably the most important one ended up being Michelle, who was the um he was the co-founder and he was the uh, he also came from Oberheim, so he designed synthesizers oh, okay. way back, you know, back in the early eighties and just had an amazing history and was like super patient with all the engineers, like mentoring and helping everybody. And teaching things he liked to teach and he said we're still friends with him today um that's kind of where we're at as far as line six went that's interesting so you mm -hmm. do you still bounce ideas off of him or like how does how does that all work uh, it's more some so i would say like it's more so just like a casual friendship now more like hey how's your grandkids doing and you know he'll come have lunch with us and ask how our kids are doing and come if he, you know, he'll give us, he'll give his advice here and there. He's super, super, super smart guy. And he's, he's been through the whole business. Is he retired? Yeah. Process, been in the industry so. forever. Yeah. Is he, is he retired now or is he still working somewhere? He's, I don't, I don't know if he t ever technically decided to retire, but he did leave line six a few years ago and has been kind of just concentrating on, uh, I think artwork. He got really into, um, doing 3d, 
artwork and, and um, animation. Oh, cool. And then he's spending lots of time with his grandkids, I think. Yeah. Not Takes bad. a lot of classes. That's he's always taking classes, which is admirable. So what uh, what happened after line six then? So I was, I think I was 29. I can't re- I think it was almost about to turn 30. And I was maybe, um, how do I say it? Getting At the time, I thought something? I was getting old. I thought I was getting old. <laughs> it was really silly looking back on it. But I, I, I had this idea in my head that like, oh, I need to try something. So I wanted to start a company. So uh, Gina, my wife, who is also part of Maris now, thankfully, um, at the time, she was really supportive. And she said, um, you know, you got to just do this. Like, I'm going to support you. She was working, you know, luckily she had a full-time awesome job at um, General Motors Advanced Design. So, oh, there you go. In LA. So, um, so we had semi-stable income. So she just pushed me to do it. And I, and I, um, I left line six with the idea that I was going to start a company and I did. I started Strymon, um, just with a little tube preamp idea that I had. And that took off slowly, really slowly, humbly for a year or so. And I teamed up with, um, some of my friends that were also from line six, the damage control guys. And all of us started, um, decided to design pedals. And so we all started designing some pedals together. They were, um, say that like took off relatively slow first, but, um, by about a year we were doing really well and then it kind of just exponentially got popular. So that was a successful, successful thing. Gina. Gina designed the Strymon logo in our uh, two-bedroom, crappy two-bedroom apartment at the time. Oh, nice. She came up with the name. Um, she wasn't officially part of the company, but she designed every logo that you see on every Strymon pedal up until the big sky. That was the last thing we worked on. And then <clears throat> the time came where it was just like, okay, time to do something else. And uh, Gina and I decided decided to um start a different company but this time she was going to actually officially be part of the company and then around that same time i had the conversation with angelo and it took about another year to get things off the ground and officially we started in 2014 maris Mm -hmm. january yeah (laughs) january 2014 yeah was January 2014, yeah. Right. right after Christmas, we just jumped right in. Yeah, and we started doing pro audio. So I wanted to do something a little different. So I had this mic pre-designed to integrate pedals into the guitar recording process. Um, that we're that talking was, through right now. I was going to say, yeah, that was kinda, you guys are talking. <laughs> that was, yeah, we are talking through it, actually. Um, we got some SM7s running into the mic pre. But um, so that, that was kind of already done. I had done that the previous year. So we shipped it maybe just a month after we started Maris. And then um, Angelo and I started working on a DSP platform for 500 series, which is a weird thing that nobody had done before. So we thought, let's do that. <laughs> it is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I hadn't seen any DSP stuff in 500 until then. Yeah, nobody had really done it yet. Um, so we thought there was 
like a fun opportunity to do something kind of high end uh, pro audio, but DSP also. That's really cool. Yeah, we started working on the uh, auto bit, um, right? Bit, bit crusher. And right, um, yeah, no, it has a lot of um, has a lot of cool things in it that we brought to that world. It was it was fun getting started in the five, you know, on the pro audio side of things. Yeah, it was, you know, it was like a, a, a new startup. So it had, um, a lot of challenges to, you know, introduce a new brand to people. But, uh, I think that's part of the fun. Uh, I mean, and, and all of us, I think we like do this just cause we're really, really into music gear. We talk about music gear every day. Um, we just kind of live it. Yeah. And doing it, um, our own way. And for us, you know, we're grateful to have that opportunity to, you know, market the way we want, um, to make it sound the way we want, to make it look the way we want. Um, that first product, I enjoyed so much what Gina did on the reveal video. We did, you know, some interesting, um, you know, video stuff that was, you know, just things you don't get to have a hand in when it's someone else's company or someone else's vision. So totally our vision and really happy to have that opportunity. That's really cool. I I know what you mean. It's it's it can be hard when there's too many cooks in the kitchen to really execute exactly what you are envisioning. And so it's kind of starting from scratch the way you guys did is uh, it's got to be kind of refreshing in some ways. Yeah, it's liberating. You don't um, you know, in other, you know, when it's someone else's company, you have to respect, you know, their decision. That's their voice. But this is our voice, the three of us. You know, we get to, um, you know, make it our own and have our own personality shine through. Which I don't know. It's satisfying. You see, like a different kind of customer base buying the 500 series gear versus the pedals you guys eventually came out with. Yeah, actually. Um... It's it's um it's kind of eye opening for me actually because I'm the type of person who likes every like I just love everything that's electronics that has to do with recording or playing guitar or whatever so I was always into pro audio guitar pedals guitar amps guitars synthesizers um, but I think the greater um, it's more common for somebody to be just really into one thing like. Um, so in my, in my experience, the guys who are into the 500 series are really like in the studio every day, um, you know, really professional recording all the time. And then people who buy our pedals are just people who are super into pedals and it crosses over a little bit, but not as much as I thought it would. Yeah. I, yeah, the, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, those 500 customers are really dedicated to the format. Like they're really into their setups and their studios and. Um, you know, they're in that workflow. Yeah, it is kind of a, uh, more so than pedals, it is sort of a rigid structure that you have to adhere to. Um, I mean, pedals have to kind of fit on a board and follow some general designs, but then, then again, you also see the, uh, you know, like Roger Mayer rocket ships shaped ones and things like that. Oh yeah. Those old floor pedals. Those are really cool. Yeah. Kind of yeah, fun. yeah. There's there's some advent. I mean, everyone's adventurous, and I, maybe in the studio you're adventurous in a different way. You're adventurous sonically, and you know, definitely, um, you know, we see the studio cu- customers. Um, 
really into having the highest quality, best fidelity. You know, they're really picky about it. So um, that's something we stressed a lot by having the best converters, you know, the best signal to noise ratio. It's something we really focused on for the pro audio world. That makes a lot of sense. So I was going to ask this question next, but uh, one of the listeners asked it in a much more entertaining way. So, uh, so I'm going to use his. And it's a Corey Nigro. He asks, what kind of acid do you take in order to create these things? <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, how do you guys come up with the, yeah. with the concepts behind these things? I mean, the Polymoon is probably the most straightforward as far as like, you, okay, I get what that does, you know? But then yeah. you get things like the Autobit and the Enzo, which are yeah, totally so out there. Part of it's conscious, and then I think part of it just happens naturally. Um, sometimes, so the conscious part of it is when we first started, we had like a very conscious uh, decision to do things a little bit differently than we've done before. I think all the companies that Angela and I worked with before were recreating things from the past, like trying to do that pretty faithfully. When we did, uh, when we decided to start doing effects again uh, at Maris, we wanted to do things that didn't necessarily exist yet. So there was two parts to that. The first part was, okay, we're going to have an inspiration for everything. Like, um, so the Mercury 7 uh, was just designed to do, um, kind of recreate the feel of Blade Runner, the whole vibe. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, and the second part of the equation for products for us was that we wanted electronics to become a musical instrument in, the, in and of themselves. So to have a pedal that you can only get sounds if you have that exact pedal or that exact effect and you have to learn how to play it as an instrument kind of becomes part of your instrument. So it was conceptually, that was the conscious part of it. Yeah, I mean, I... That's exactly it. Um, it kind of ties into what we were saying before, where it's, you know, having your own unique voice, having that personality, um, super important to us. Uh, I, I did that a lot where I, you know, would recreate, you know, filters and stuff um, from existing products. And there's enough of those existing products out there. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of really cool recreations out there. But for me personally, I wanted to just break into something new, something that you could only get this sound with our paddle. And um, yeah, Terry is exactly right. We want them to be instruments of, you know, that you kind of play. And I, and I feel like when you have that connection with your, you know, favorite guitar or, you know, your favorite amp, your, you know, it, it becomes something else. It becomes a part of you. Um, it pulls, you know, inspiration out of you that, um, you know, you wouldn't get with another guitar or another pedal or, you know, so that, that feeling is really important. Um, I know that when I'm coding and I lose myself, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, constantly doing that thing where I change a little bit and I play a guitar a little bit. If I really get sucked in, if I, you know, change the code a little bit and I like lose two hours by messing around with it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's getting close. <laughs> <laughs> it's something new. It's something different. You know, it holds my attention. So. Um, Hi. I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. 
My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at Maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. So what is the uh, yeah, what is the sure. unconscious part of that equation then? Oh, okay, so the the part that comes more naturally is just I think um, me and Angelo and Gina hanging out all day long together and and kind of letting letting things uh, inspire us, and uh, especially me and Angelo just talking and talking about songs and talking about music and talking about effects. You know, we might have heard that take us on a certain in a certain direction or or you know how just like a um sometimes you'll have an idea and then it leads to uh, or an inspiration that leads to a bigger idea i think that part of it happens um and so we're collaborating the the whole time on how the how the knobs are gonna be laid out how the ui is gonna work and how the architecture is gonna come together and then oh we need this um we need to do this thing that um is going to change the product a little bit or, you know, it just, it just happens that way. It's not like, um, it's not like I write a document and then Angelo writes the software based on that document. It's like, it's more like us just hanging out and trying to create the coolest thing possible. I see. It's just kind of a, a byproduct of the way you guys work now, essentially. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, that, that part of it, is uh organic part yeah the whole product document thing is never <laughs> that was a terrible idea uh i i really think um well angela we we've worked that way yeah <laughs> okay and so you've tried that you, you tried that in the past. well not here not not, not here, at yeah. maris at, yeah not at, at maris uh, at past at yeah. past jobs <laughs> it would be like you guys are engineers and and yeah you do uh you make this make this product for us yeah i mean software and electronics is an art form 
um, it's our art, you know, so they're definitely artistic expressions, you know, in code and in sound and in, in circuit design, you know, so they're personal that way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of viewed it that way. I, I mean, I, I kind of relate to what you guys are saying. Uh, I can't really talk too much about it right now, but I'm going through a very similar process and I understand like if somebody just handed the engineer a piece of paper that says make it do xyz that's not really as fun as discussing it and and you know working together to and you know like sometimes just through the through the discussion i'm sure you guys come up with a new idea like you're like oh, we're trying to make this one aspect of it work this particular way and it's not quite well maybe if we had a workaround and oh oh wait that's just cooler all around we'll do it like that i'm sure things kind of unfold that way for you sometimes yeah all the time yeah that's that stuff happens constantly and i think i think it would be really hard to get these different kind of products if you know if it wasn't working that way so i think that's really interesting and cool yeah i mean we're connected i mean it's it all comes through our own personal love of all those things you know of making music our own you know personal love of gear our personal love of music, our personal love of songs, all of that gets shared together and, you know, is expressed in our pedals. And um, with always that eye on making it, you know, something that adds to the equation, you know, I want to have our things occur as something new and additional. You know, we have all these pedals existing already. We have all these, you know, great um, effects and processors and wonderful stuff that already, exi already exist. This is kind of, an attempt to add on to that and kind of grow that world. Yeah. Instead of, uh, you know, instead of, I mean, and you know, I, I use this example a lot when talking to people kind of doing unique things, but not another tube screamer, you know, a tube screamer is wonderful, but there's thousands of them at this point. Yeah. And, and I, you know, some people, and there's thousands for a reason. They sound good, but, um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. We, we, you know, there's there's different there's value in everything. There's value in every product. You can make music with anything, um, but um, for us, have them feel like a new instrument and kind of bring inspiration. And you know, that's constantly you know something worth talk about all the time and think about. Yeah, that's 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 like a big drive for us. I think listening to music in the offices or in the lab or whatever is. Um, is a big drive too. like all of us listen. To, I think all of us have different, a um, little bit different tastes, but all compatible. So like um, Angelo brings more of like a, like a jazz and um, fusiony, fusiony, <laughs> shreddy, prog, prog rock maybe, type yeah. of type of vibe and flavor. And um, Gina was really into electronic music. So, that's a big influence on us and the type of artists we kind of reach out with and interact with. And, uh, and all of us are into synthesizer music. Yeah. And then, um, I like metal. Nobody really knows that about me, but I like metal, uh, and punk rock and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I, I grew up listening to mostly punk rock and metal, so that's a big influence on me. Um, and then, I, I mean, I listened to a ton of guitar music when I was younger, too. 
and uh, yeah, lots of police. I love Andy Summers. That's probably my number one guitar player of all time. Andy Summers, number one. Number one. I love um, modulation because of him. Uh, that makes sense. And, and, delay. and delay. And guitar synthesizers. <laughs> and guitars. Yeah, he did it all. He really... <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot that he did that was kind of um, pioneering um, and kind of putting stuff together with his, you know, his like a wide array of roll-in products that he would use. But he would really make some amazing things like the... Um, the GR300 kind of um, filter swells. Um, that was something that I wanted to kind of reference in the poly mode of Enzo. You can totally get his, um, you know, swelling chords, um, you know, with the Enzo. So it's not an exact replication, but it's kind of our inspiration on that. So you can totally get to that sound. And with the Polymoon too, the, uh, the Polymoon has this wide range of modulation that you can get out of it. And there's references to Holdsworth and Zappa on that pedal, but definitely Andy Summers as well. There's a lot of that going on inside the Polymoon too. Oh, this, re- this reminds me of one of my favorite things about Angelo. He's the, one of the world's best gift givers. <laughs> <laughs> I, like when we were still working at line six, I would always, I had, um, I had a turntable at work and I would play like um, old police records that my dad handed down to me but I, I had them when i was a kid but he gave them to me luckily when um when i moved out and so angelo brings me like he find he scours the internet and finds this old i think it was a guitar player article or something like that but he like you know he printed on the copy machine of this old interview of andy summers talking about his old gear and it was like the best thing i i like um I was like, wow, that's so thoughtful of you, Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh, this Christmas, or no, it was my birthday, he gave me uh, Dune and Tron playing cards. Uh, ah, yeah, they're pretty rad. That is From solid. the 80s, and they still had 80s gum in them. <laughs> How'd it taste? <laughs> I didn't eat it. Yeah, it was pretty rigid. Don't be it. I think that on, stuff was in the... Just do it. Oh, man, no, it was in the trash. <laughs> I was afraid to eat it. <laughs> but... Just to be fair, when that gum was new, there's that Tops gum. It was awful back then. So. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't think it really changed chemically in any way. I think it was the exact same. Yeah, it's probably it's a time fun. capsule for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So do you guys prefer like prefer the the pedal end of things or do you, are you more interested in the 500 or is it pretty equal? Man, all of it and more. 19-inch rack, yeah, uh, you name I it. I think there's <laughs> lots of stuff we wish we had more time to do but um euro rack pedals is a nice thing because so what i like about pedals um is that you don't have to have anything special to use them all you need is a guitar and an amp and it's like turn it on and have fun right you don't need a you don't need a rack of any sort or anything like that don't need a rack and you don't need a controlled environment and you don't need um you know all the stuff that you need to be like or pro studio you know yeah it's just a more uh, accessible type of type of piece of gear yeah and people generally understand like you plug in the nine volt you plug in and out and here we go like it's it doesn't take as much explanation for a, a you know a lay person i suppose they can kind of plug in for sure and rock out just instantly yeah but yeah personally 
I mean, everything, software, I mean, you name it, like Terry mentioned earlier, there's not any part of the entire, you know, music gear industry that we're, you know, not into. <laughs> I love buying symbols. <laughs> symbols. Uh, yeah, it's, there's, you know, if you can create with it, I mean, that's, that's something that's important to me too, is that, that act of creation, creating something out of nothing, taking a blank slate and making something happen is so fascinating. So the tools and the um, you know the road that gets you there, it's extremely interesting to me. You know, I, I you know so any any sort of thing that you can make music with, I'm automatically drawn to it. Yeah, I agree. There's like a there's like a certain moment uh, when you're playing with a band or your you know your friends jamming with your friends, and like I love that moment where it's like okay, this is really working. Like this this sounds super cool. And um, that happens a lot of times if you're writing a song in a group together or if you're um, and I feel like the same thing happens at certain moments when you're um, creating a piece of gear together. Like you're, um, there's just certain moments along the way where it's so fun because it starts to really sound good or really look good or there's there's a bunch of kind of milestones along the way of releasing yeah, absolutely. A new piece of gear that's that's gratifying to me. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I totally get that. I want to jump back into some of the Facebook group questions. Um, this is not. This is actually kind of a new thing. I failed to make the announcements. Oftentimes, I'd just be like, "Oh yeah, I recorded with this person." And they're like, "Oh, I, why didn't you ask them X Y Z?" And I'm like, "Cause I didn't think about it." Um, but I got I got a good question in here from Jonathan Diaz. He said, I'm going to modify it just a little bit. He said, what was the pedal that made you want to create pedals? And I'm going to change that to what was the piece of gear that made you want to create? Like the, the one that oh, really is, kicked it this off. Is, this is such a cool question. Um, I don't know, Angela, you want to go first or, or I'll go? Uh, yeah, you go first. Okay. I'll let Angela think about it. Yeah. I have an answer that I hope it doesn't sound contrived because it's absolutely true. So, um, so I, well, when I was a teenager, I read the Craig Anderton book, which is so awesome. I love that book. Uh, and it um, basically teaches how you how to make, you know, pretty rudimentary um, um, gear. It doesn't have, it, not all of them are, are guitar pedals, but there's a few guitar pedals in the book. And I made the, um, made the tube sound fuzz and that was the first pedal I ever built, maybe when I was 14 or something like that. Um, I blew it up probably three times before it ever worked. Of course. Which is, so it was a good learning lesson, and but I didn't really like the way it sounded that much. I was like, that's all right. The first pedal that, um, well, after that, I, I was pretty much like, because uh, like I said before, I was playing like mostly in punk rock or metal band. So I was really just like a chord into amp kind of guy. Like I, I didn't use pedals that much until I started working at Lane 6. I started getting into more effects again. And the first pedal that I was like really excited about pedals again was the Echo Park. I love that delay. Oh, yeah. Um, and Angelo designed it. So, <laughs> well, good job. How sweet. That, that pedal is rad. <laughs> but I'm being totally serious. I love that pedal. Wow. Um, the, um, so I started using that in a band situation. And what I did was that pedal, I loved it, but it was like a little noisy in front of my amp. So 
I rehoused it in a different box. Um, and, uh, but I love the delay sounds in that thing. So it became like really integral to, um, one of the bands I was in at the time, uh, called the June echo, which nobody knows about, but, uh, if anybody wants to listen to it, it's on iTunes. <laughs> Somebody, will. Nobody, Somebody will. Nobody's ever heard. Nobody's ever heard my um, any of the bands I've ever been in. But I, um, I understand. I know. I, now they the will. Same but feeling. yeah, yeah. You know how it is. You make music just because you like it, not because uh, you want to be famous or something. Right. At least I do. Um, so yeah, it was really that pedal. Like I love the Echo Park and. Uh, I think the polymoon, like for me, was a um, like an attempt to get back to a, see if we could make a pedal that I liked more than the Echo Park. Ah, so um, and I I do I love the polymoon. So thanks, Angela. Thanks, Angela. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Echo Park was a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for that. That's 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 very generous. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, there is some DNA. Um, yeah, the Polymoon definitely steps beyond that. But yeah, there's definitely Echo Park DNA. I mean, it's hard. I mean, you, it's hard to, um, you know, when you're putting your own voice into it, it's hard to, you know, not have, have some of those commonalities and everything. But um, I guess for me, and I, it's the one thing that maybe got me started on the Gear Quest was... Um, you know, just flipping through those old, like, 86, 1987 Guitar World magazines where they just had these enormous refrigerator, you know, these crazy racks of gear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it was so, I mean, intoxicating, you know, to someone in eighth grade to be like, oh, my God, look at all that stuff. Look at that H3000. Look at <laughs> and And... There's a part of it, so you know. By that time, I was already playing with my best friend Mark. He's playing drums, and we, you know, had a bass player, and we're you know going for it. And there's a part of it like, ah, you know, why don't I sound the same? At that point, what I didn't know is, well, it's a lot in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all those players are going to sound like themselves, even with like the shittiest guitar and shittiest amp. Um, but what Joe, you know, what drew me in is like, oh, it must be those amazing racks. And so I, you know. Started along that quest too, and got the Lexicon Alex, the cheapest Lexicon I could get, and Marshall JMP one. Um, but that setup kind of got me thinking about like, oh man, this could be a career. I can make these amazing tools that um, you know I want, and other people want, and I want to be a part of this. I want to figure out how these work. You know, how do you make these things? And I was lucky enough to you know be able to follow that you know path. And it led me here. So feel really lucky to have that happen. Yeah, I totally had that same experience too with the guitar magazines because um, the neighbor across the street from my parents' house, he played guitar casually. I never heard him play, but he gave me a whole, he was just cleaning out his house one time and he gave me a box of um, guitar player magazines that was all the way back from like, I think the first one was like 1988. So, I mean, this was the early 90s. So it was maybe like, four or five years worth of guitar player magazines and this is pre-internet too angela and i kind of grew up at the same time fortunately so that's another thing we have in common but yeah pre-internet it was just like to find out what was new you had to read magazines and you saw these yeah gigantic racks of expensive kind of unobtainable gear for us at the time yeah 
that was just pretty exciting to check out. I loved it. Yeah, I I can relate to that too. A lot of people, I mean, I'm a little bit younger, but and I I I used to work with a bunch of older guys at my last job and they always made fun of me for being the young guy and they're like, "Oh, you don't remember, you know, before the internet." And I'm like, "Yes, I do." I was <laughs> I was like, "I grew up riding bicycles and you know, like we didn't have a computer for years growing up and like, and then we didn't have internet for years after that. Like, I, I know what this, I know what that's like. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a different, it's a different place now. I don't think I had a computer until I was 14, probably or 15. Yeah. Me- like a computer that actually, I had a Commodore 64, but that didn't get you on the internet. I, yeah. I didn't have I was- a computer until <laughs> about the same age. So yeah, I, I, I was yeah. a little bit younger, maybe like, maybe like 13, but Yes, I definitely remember yeah. pre-internet, everybody. Yeah, and you had to go to the music store to check it out. And uh, yeah, all through high school, I went um, just right next to my house. Uh, there was this place called The Music Box. And uh, they always had, this is in Michigan, they'd always, they always had the best gear. They'd all, all of those things that I would love, they had. They had you know, piles of synths, piles of everything. And and uh, so I'd spend a lot of time there. I had lessons there, but I'd get there early, <laughs> play, you know, in, 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 the, in the store, play through everything and drive people nuts. It probably was terrible. And then have my pick, parents pick me up late just sitting there playing through all that gear. Um, so, yeah, that and I eventually ended up working there. But, yeah, that, that early rack stuff and not having, you know, now all that stuff you can just listen to on YouTube and you can. But. You know, you had to get hands on back then. Yeah, I remember, you know, in high school being like, what do you want to do today? Like on the weekend or something, me and my friends would be like, let's go to Guitar Center or whatever store. Usually it was Guitar Center because that was the closest one. But like and we just that like, what are we going to do? Well, who knows? We're just going to go to Guitar Center and try <laughs> and try out all this. Play the new Gibson. Exactly. Pl- try out all this stuff yeah. that we absolutely can't afford. I'm like, that sounds like a blast. I'm sure the store <laughs> loved us just hanging out there all yeah. day and then and buying a pack of strings. All these kids who can't afford anything. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> buying a pack of strings and going home. Like, yeah, I'm sure they loved it. But like, that was just it. Like, how are we supposed to know if we don't go play it? There's no other way to know. Yeah. No. Well, and it led us here too now. So exactly. And here is. It's awesome. It's not for nothing. Yes. So I want to ask you kind of a funny question, or I don't know if it's funny or not, because you guys are actually involved in it. But um, (laughs) stepping back to the line. I'm laughing already, so you're (laughs) off to a good start. Stepping back to the line six days. What do you think about uh, it's sort of become a meme of itself of the spider to insane channel? Oh, that's a funny question. I never heard anybody ask that before because... um, both Angelo and I worked on this spider too. That was one of the only projects we ever worked on together. And I, so I love, first of all, man, whatever people think about line six, I love line six. Like, um, just because it gave us so much opportunity and, and, um, chance to like, they were so, everybody there was so generous, like mentoring us and teaching us about everything about engineering because we were, you know, the engineering department was really cool there. Fun place to work. Um, I didn't always love the products after they shipped, um, to be 100% candid, but they were really reliable, really good products. Um, they made a lot of, 
different types of guitar tones accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Um, insane channel is not something I use. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a metal yeah. guy. What else would you use? And well, <laughs> so um, that's a funny thing because we were just talking about it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, because the meme that I love, <laughs> I've been on a metal pedal kick lately. And uh, the meme that I love is the metal zone yeah. meme. Oh, yeah. Because I, so I remember trying a metal zone when I was maybe, you know, 13 years old. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. And then I never bought one and I never had one. I just bought one last week. And I have to say, it's pretty cool. I like the metal zone. There, I said it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, all the like, world if you, it's, it's, it's instant Metallica. If you said it right, but that's the thing is everyone's it's a box of bees. I'm like, if you don't, if you don't EQ it right, though, like you can get yeah. it to sound, you know, it's it takes some tweaking, but you can get it to that's part of the it's not really a problem, but that's part of the problem with it is that it's so flexible. The EQ on it's awesome. And I think everyone. Oh, the EQs. Yeah, the EQ is super flexible. It instantly made me want to play Master of Puppets riffs and um Holy Wars by Megadeth. I, I don't know if you guys have seen it. The reason I brought that up is because once you guys started talking about that, you worked on it. I have a spider two over here in the room. Oh, okay. you did? Cool. Which one is it? Uh, the 112. All yeah. right. Yeah, we definitely. Worked so on it. it's the one. It's 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 gray panel with silver knobs. Or yeah, gray panel with silver knobs. Yeah. Yeah. Angelo. Uh, and George Trips. George yeah, Trips was George the product manager for that line. The spider yeah, two yeah. amplifier line. Um, I, I mean, I think it's easy to hate on anything. Um, I, I think, you know, what, what I've noticed is that for people who are like way into creating music, they'll take like the crappiest stuff and elevate it into something like, you know, then everyone has to have it. I don't think that's going to happen with the spider too. <laughs> <laughs> who knows, but, man, you never know. <laughs> but you know who did play one and who, who used them backstage was Eddie Van Halen. And he just loved the insane saturation of the insane channel. Did he like the insane oh, channel? Oh yeah, I didn't there's, know that. There's there's pictures of him. He would he <laughs> that was so his two favorite products. He, well, he had three favorite favorite products. He had the um the 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 Echo Pro, which is a DL4 rack mount. Mm-hmm. He had the Pod 1.0. And he like we there was a bunch of people in the room, including the founders, and he's like, never stop making the pod 1.0. <laughs> cause he because he pointed at like the pod XT and the pod, you know, whatever, you know, with the screens. And he's like, that's too much. He, he loved the simplicity of just turning like a logic encoder and getting a sound. And then the Spider 2 was his go-to amp for, you know, backstage prep. That's and, cool. I didn't even know and that. It, and it made it on records, too. That <laughs> It seriously did. No, it was cool. Uh, um, George Tripps and I really, you know, this was like one of those moments where you're like just filled with gratitude. We we got to go drop off and teach him how to use um, an Echo Pro. He wanted the rack one. And the amp that he was playing through in the control room was the Stinkin' Spider 2. <laughs> that's so funny. Man, that's fine. Yeah. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear 
into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Goodhertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossy, I invite you to head over to chaseflintsaudio.com. Gonna like what you find. Well, it was funny because I, uh, you know, Instagram is a wonderful place, but it's also kind of funny at times because people who like cat maybe I don't know if you guys you guys probably don't run into this as much as I do because my account's like very like broad, and so there's people there are a lot of people who follow it that don't necessarily listen to the podcast or like are really. Uh, like involved in the tone mob community at all. So they don't really know me that well, but they're like, Oh, this guy posts cool pictures sometimes, you know? Um, so I did one the other day. I was just, I was just goofing off and I, I took a, sh- a quick video of t- starting the spider two, and then being like, Oh yeah, baby, here we go. And I just turned the knob <laughs> until the insane channel was lit up and then and I yeah. just cut it off. And I had so many people, not so many, probably like four or five people comment like, like, Ugh, you need to get a real amp, man. You need to get real <laughs> oh, wow. and I'm like, yeah. I'm like looking behind it. I'm like, well, there's a Benson. There's another Benson. There's a Sun. There's a 1965 Ampeg. There's a 1961 Fender Champ. Like, I guess I need to get a real amp, I suppose. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it was just really kind of comical, like to like man, you just need, you stop playing that. Like people have a lot of animosity <laughs> towards it. And I'm like, ah, it's kind yeah. of fun. Actually, I'm here to tell you. I think, <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit is bad reaction to the marketing. I think, you know, kind of the marketing around that wasn't, you know, it was a little bit lowest common denominator and a little bit, you know, not, you know, that, that was the thing that always got me with line six is like, we put a ton of like really cool, things inside the products that no one would discover because they would kind of just discount them as being, you know, mass market or, you know, oh, that's too pedestrian. Everyone has one of those. Those are in bad taste. No one likes those. And man, the um, thing, the thing that I'm most proud about that design is that it is super reliable. It almost never breaks. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a broken one. 
No, you probably yeah. won't find one. It works that's good. That's a big influence from Michel Duadic too. Oh like yeah, he, gigantic. Yeah, man. He he, and that was something that I, weirdly went back to his like. He also worked in a repair shop, and he worked in an organ repair shop and early synth. And he he said he would always repair the EMS synth, synthy A. You know, he repair those all the time. The ones that have that like battleship matrix on there. But he said I never repaired a Yamaha synth or organ. And that blew him away. And that's something he wanted for line six. He's like, I want to get, you know, complete reliability on everything. So it's definitely something that impressed us too, that we, we shoot for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. What's a, what's interesting not to keep going back to line six, but I'm sure you guys were involved in a lot of things over there that are considered groundbreaking. Like you mentioned some of the modulation stuff. I mean, the DL four is legendary. Everyone, Everyone yeah. agrees that the DL4 is like one of the most fantastic pedals ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, which I oddly don't own one still, which I need to fix that. But that's neither here nor there. But uh, it's it, is it is it kind of strange to go from working in a bigger organization like that and then kind of slowly shrinking down into a very small organization over time? I think it's um, it's a lot different. I wouldn't say it's weird. I would say it's. I think it's great um, because we got our feet wet in uh, engineering in a place that was, I think, a really healthy place to learn engineering. Yeah, and for then, sure. Um, we got to concentrate on it back then. Um, now, being in a small company, we have a lot more freedom, but we have a lot more roles to fill too. So um, maybe more stressful being in a small company, right? As far as just just keeping just keeping the lights on, but. Um, I like I like different aspects of both situations, but I, I definitely prefer being in a smaller group because you can I just feel like you can be more creative. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. See, I'm going to go back to one more question from the Facebook group. I like this Facebook book group ideas. Um, everybody's coming up with good questions, and I'm, I've never heard you do that before. Blake. I, I think the the first time I did it was um, like, well, I've done it before. Uh, and I sometimes okay. didn't necessarily say some of the questions came from there, but this time I'm like, when I know that I've got a guest on that people like know about already or, or have, have seen their pedals around or whatever the case may be, I I'm like trying to remember, ask the people what they want to know. So I've done that three episodes in a row. I've done that with you guys, with Jamie from Earthquaker, and I did it with the old blood guys. So, oh, so cool. I'm trying to keep on that train because I think people like that stuff. So uh, awesome. I have an old blood t-shirt on right now. Yeah. I'm wearing oh, it right very now. nice. And those guys are awesome. Yeah. Super nice. Uh, Dustin Babitsky wants to know what your favorite settings on the Enzo are. Ooh, I'll let you go first, Angela. Uh, yeah, there's not one favorite setting. Uh, yeah. Uh, all, I don't know. It's, that's hard to say because it's kind of just in the moment. Um, one of the things that I, I just was doing uh, two nights ago that I really liked was setting the, you know, using the Enzo in ARP mode. So it's doing a slow arpeggio, but then I would use the auto bit because the auto bit has a triggered sequencer and it has a triggered pitch sequence. So I'd have each note of the arpeggiator then get resequenced by the auto bit. So I was making these like almost instant compositions <laughs> with the two pedals, but I don't have a favorite setting. I mean, it, it, you know, I, 
I love kind of like all the different aspects of it. I love the, you know, poly mode for big sustaining chords. Um, and even within each mode, there's like a bunch of different, you know, sounds I love. I love the portamento stuff and I really like the Pat Metheny stuff you can get with um, the mono, you know, synth lead line stuff. But yeah, just lately, this combination of auto bit and Enzo was, was having a lot of fun. Nice. Cool. I, I like to run different things through it. Uh, when I'm, I guess if, if I'm playing guitar through it, I love the arpeggiator. That thing's a lot of fun. Um, and I like to do, um, like you can record, uh, Angelo put a split mode in it. So you can do, you can run your dry signal out of one output and then have the arpeggiator uh, on the synth running out of a different output. So you can uh, run a distortion pedal on the dry part and then have the synth arpeggiating on the wet side. And it's just like a super cool sound. Then um, if I'm using, if I'm running drum machines through it, I love the the filter and the pitch shifter um, with drum machines. That's hours of fun for me. Yes, I can see that. I got to play one here recently and uh, I was like, oh, baby, this thing speaks to me <laughs> in all the right ways. I was really, really liking awesome. it. Um, so just one more kind of question that I really wanted to dig into myself and I kept forgetting about. So where did the name come from, Maris? Uh, so Gina thought of the name. Uh, she is good at thinking of names. She thought of Strymon too, and she thought of Maris. We, um, when we we decided to start a company before we had a name, so it took a few months to come up with something that we thought was good. And one day, I don't remember how it came about, but she um. She said the name and I was like, that's it. That's it. And then we and then we called Angelo and we're like, Angelo, we have a name. <laughs> and that's how it happened. But does it mean anything to anybody or does it just sound rad? It has uh an internal act like like acronym was was the genesis of it, but we don't really tell anybody the acronym. What? So that's not a big deal. It's nothing it's not it's nothing funny or crazy. It's just like a Oh, you can't do that to us. The listeners are so mad right now. I can't tell you. They're so mad right now. They're gonna nah, nobody's they're gonna be throwing tomatoes here <laughs> in just a second. It's just Maris. Oh, you that's that is a this is a well the logo, the logo kind of has a meaning between behind it. Um, the logo is, um, an M, really abstracted, but um, just three vertical lines. So that's me and. Gene and Andrew. Oh, cool. That's rad. Yeah, it's really rad. All right, guys. Here's the question that some of you know is coming. Uh, I hope you guys are prepared to answer it, you know, in a, in a way that that doesn't ruin your company, basically. That's what that's what, <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of pizza do you like? So I hope this also doesn't sound <laughs> contrived. And goofy and cheesy, but my brother, um, who is uh, he's my younger brother. He's a filmmaker. Um, man, he makes good pizza. He makes my favorite pizza in the world. I like pizza and just in general, but um, he makes a couple of pizzas that I've never tasted before anywhere else, and they're kind of weird and my favorite. So he makes a 
I think my favorite one is pesto mm-hmm. sauce mm-hmm. with walnuts. Oh, weird. A little bit of walnuts. And sometimes he does cheese, but usually he goes full vegan pizza. And then he makes another one that's vegan also that's um, tahini and sun-dried tomatoes. Man, his pizzas are the best. But uh, there's lots of pizzas I like, so I don't discriminate. But his are my favorite. All right. That's solid. <laughs> uh, for me, um, I guess the one that's kind of like the most nostalgic one, uh, my wife and I met in Ann Arbor at, um, during school. And we uh, lived in a place across from Da Vinci's Pizza. So that one was like our... <laughs> You know, it hits all the nostalgic notes, and, and and you know, so we ordered that all the time. And the funny thing is, I could look out my window and see them make the pizza because <laughs> it was they were so close. Um, so that one hits all like the nostalgic notes. Uh, for the, lately, what I really like, and uh, I like it a lot because it's rare. You know, um, uh, in San Francisco, there's uh, something called Little Star Pizza, and they make a cornmeal crust which I was really skeptical about. Um, in fact, my mother-in-law, she says, I just, I, I just ordered the best pizza that's coming. I'm, and immediately, like, my, I'm really cynical. <laughs> like, no, it's not the best pizza. It's terrible. Like, what, what are you talking about? You can't make that claim. And the pizza comes from Little Star. It was so good. Um, really thick crust, you know, cornmeal. I, and it's unlike, you know, any other pizza I've, I've had outside of the Bay Area. And there's a couple places in the Bay Area that do it, but she lives right close to uh, Little Star, so we always get that. That's interesting. I'm I'm very curious. So what Angela's about that. not telling you. Oh, every time she visits him in LA, he makes her bring. <laughs> that that's 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 a real deal thing. She does. I'm like, ah, oh, can you buy a pizza and bring it down? I, <laughs> they travel really well. <laughs> that's a reasonable request. Come on, she lives right there. Yeah, come on. I know, yeah. I know, I know. So she'll order it and then jump on the five and bring it down. Very, <laughs> which I'm happy that she does that. That's a huge treat. I'm gonna have to try this. Thank you. I'm gonna have to try this pizza sometime. Oh man, it's so good. It's in the Mission. Um, there's a, actually there's a couple of them around there. There's there's a, a really good spot in Oakland for that same really thick cornmeal crust pizza. Um, but yeah, if you're in San Francisco, definitely get one. I was totally not a believer, and. My first reaction when someone tells me it's going to be the best, I'm like, ah, no, you're lying. Don't, don't you lie to me. <laughs> but it was really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> lying right to me. Exactly. Face. That's the way it I'm felt. not even shy. Yeah. <laughs> How can you do this? But it was amazing. <laughs> she was right. Nice. Good times. Well, are you guys going to be at NAM? We will. Yeah. We'll have, um, I guess officially, we'll have a little pedal board set up at the Stompbox exhibit. They have a booth every year with a bunch of little makers, our friends. Deli a lot audio. of them are friends, yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. And so we'll be there. Awesome. I'll be yeah. There. And then we'll be walking around, hanging out with people too. So we got to hang gonna out. Are you going to come eat pizza? Yeah. Are let's you going to have pizza? We're going to do pizza. We do a pizza. We do <laughs> nice a Tone Mob pizza party at Nat, man. We don't. Send us the invite. Yes. Oh, yeah. You got it. This one's going to be a little different. I, and people are probably getting really tired of me saying this at the end of every episode because I'm inviting everyone to the pizza party. <laughs> but uh, there's like 100 people. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We just one pizza. We had, we had a restaurant that we would go to the first couple of years. And last year, 
I told them, yeah, there'll probably be 20 or 30 people again. So, you know, just if that's cool. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And like over 50 people showed up. So we're going to try to have them deliver it outside and we'll eat it outside at NAM. I think that's the plan. So it'll be a lot more, a lot All more right. comfortable for everybody, including the restaurant, because they did not like that very well. Yeah, that's a shock. We took over the whole place and then some. So, yeah. uh, and then they shoot us out because they were being bombarded by a girls like soccer league right after us. So they just had, they get, they worked hard that day. Yeah. But, I bet they should have been grateful for your presence. <laughs> I the owner probably liked it. The yeah. uh, staff probably wasn't super into it, though. I'm guessing. Well, man, send us the invite for the pizza party. That's oh yeah, fun. we'll put it together. All right, one one last thing. Uh, this is your chance to like put up a billboard. If there's something you want to tell everybody, whether it's like an important personal message or where to find you or whatever, this is your time to advertise. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. If, I mean, if anybody, uh, I hope everybody would like to check out our effects, just go to maris.us, M-E-R-I-S.us. And then we have, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, um, little links there, but that's where you can find out about us. Yeah. What we're up to. Nice. Very nice. All right. Well, I guess I'll close this out then. So for Terry and Angelo, this is Blake. And as always, folks, Good luck and good tones. Those guys are great. What 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 lovely chaps to talk to. We talked quite a bit after the episode was over, and if you would like to hear that, you can check it out over at Patreon. Oh, what? Yeah, I'm not joking. Patreon.com slash ToneMob, where for five bucks a month, you can get more of this. You just listen to the whole thing, so something tells me you like this kind of stuff. Well, if that's your thing, head over to Patreon and check out the different levels. I think you might find something there that fits your particular taste. And there again, helps support the show, helps keep things going, and you get extra content and other things. A bunch of people got custom printed Tone Mob buffers this year from Solid Gold Effects. They made a bunch of custom graphic buffers for a bunch of patrons that were over a certain level. That's one of the things we do, we, we give them surprises in the mail every once in a while. So if that's your thing, go over to patreon.com slash tonemob and give it a check out and see, give it a check out? Is that a thing that people do? I don't know. I guess it is now. That's one place you can go. Also, make sure you check out the Maris website and all of their goodies and demos that are around. I played Enzo recently. Oh, man, I have to get one of those. They're so good. Uh, the Maris guys are, are great, and the products are great, and you just heard all that. So I'll shut up now, and you can go listen to something else. Okay, bye. Oh, yeah, Merry Christmas again, again, because that's this time. In fact, I'm recording it. Christmas is tomorrow. So Merry Christmas to all you wonderful people. Have a good one. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy 
and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.